Hey, this is Keith. I'm the pastor of Blaze Church. Welcome to our podcast. I know today's message is going to inspire you, encourage you, and lead you to know God more. If you want to connect with us, visit us online at blazechurch.org. Enjoy today's message. We're continuing a series that we started a few weeks ago called Loves. We are in a series called Loves, and the reason why we're, we're working through this series is because how many would agree that the world has cheapened love? Yeah. It's just gotten cheap. Like our definition of what love is, the, the way that we go about love, the way that we explain love, the way we experience love, all of it is just this cheapened version. And I would, I would go a step further, and if you're a believer, this may be your, your perspective with me. Not only is it a cheapened version, but the enemy has perverted and twisted love. Like just that, a distortion. So the reason why we're taking time to say how is love defined in the Bible is because we need a better definition. <laughs> we, we need one that will bring us life. So this morning, I have the privilege to preach on another Greek word. We've been looking through Greek words for a couple weeks, but before I introduce you to this Greek word, I need you to lean in for at least a minute. This message will offend you. Okay, it's just, it's just like I want to throw that out there right now. What we are going to discover today, it will not make sense. It will feel wrong. It may seem countercultural. And I'm just going to ask you to put on your seatbelt and stay buckled in for the whole ride, okay? Just, there's going to be a temptation for you to hit the eject button and head towards that exit. I'm being so forward on the front end of this because as we see what God has to say about this specific love, it's going to mess with us. It's going to be uncomfortable, but here's why we're doing it. Two reasons. One, what we have right now just is not working. If love has been cheapened, and if the enemy has twisted and perverted it, you and I both know what we have just is not working. I mean, all you have to do is look at the breakdown of families and of marriages and maybe your own relationships to say, you know what, maybe what I've grabbed onto, what I've adopted as love just isn't working. So that's why we're doing this. That's why we're doing it. And then here's a second reason why. Because we want to look to the source of love himself. Why look horizontally when you and I are invited to look vertically? It, let me show you this in God's word. Here's what John writes, 1 John 4, 7 and 8. Dear friends, let us love one another. Why? What does it say there? For, say it with me. Can I have that water? Love comes from God. Thank you so much. So cute. Thank you. That's my wife, everybody. We'll talk about it in a few minutes. Love comes from God because why? God is what? God is love. So check this out. Here's why we're going to look to a different source because we're going to look to the one who gives us love and whose name is actually love. Like why would I look around me when I can look to the one who is love? Here's why. Because it's uncomfortable. <laughs> because it's harder and you'll, you'll see in a few minutes. So we've been discovering Greek words. We've looked at last week who was here for agape, right? We looked at agape. We looked at storge, a family love. And today our Greek word is the word eros. Everyone say eros. 
or eros. However you want to say it, you say it. But here's the love that we're talking about today. Romantic love, physical love, sexual desire. And you may be wondering, Pastor Keith, are you preaching on this one because no one else on the preaching team wanted to take it? Absolutely. <laughs> That's exactly why you have me today. Is we th- okay, who's taking what word? This was like nose goes, I got the short straw. So here, Pastor Keith, you take sexual love. So we're going to look at this word, but I want you to know what's really interesting about this Greek word is that eros is not just a Greek word. Eros was actually considered to be a Greek god. There was a mythological god for the Greeks whose name was Eros, and Eros was the god of sex and love. Now, you probably know his Roman counterpart. You might have seen him this week, Cupid. So when Rome takes over, they take some of the Greek gods and integrate them into their pagan religion. And so we have Eros for the Greeks, and we have Cupid for the Romans. And guess what? For us today, we still worship the god of sex and love. We may not name the god of sex and love Eros or Cupid, but you and I are not very different than humanity millennia ago. We still elevate this romantic love, physical pleasure, sexual drive. We elevate it and make it like the pinnacle of humanity, the greatest of experiences. And we go to Eros expecting to find satisfaction. And this morning we are going to look at, should we be worshiping the God of sex? Or let me rephrase it. Should we be worshiping the mythological God of sex? So who's uncomfortable? Because we just started. (laughs) Here we go. Let's start with the first question that you may be wondering. Is sexual desire wrong? Can we get a better no from somebody? Come on. Come on. Is sexual desire wrong? So it's, it's a good question because, I mean, we're in a church context. This is not a biology class, so I'm not giving you the talk today. We're not going to explain how this works, all right? But it's the question that certainly could come up in faith circles and in church communities. Is there something wrong with this sexual desire, with this longing for romantic love, for physical pleasure, for sexual drive? And and what I would like to do is is give you an answer, not based on opinion, but based on scripture. I just want to read a couple passages, and these passages will make you blush and feel uncomfortable, but it's God's word. And I think if we're okay with letting Netflix and Disney and mainstream media talk about sex, we should let God talk about it. Just a thought. So let's go to the beginning pages. Just to start. How does the world begin? With a naked man. Like the whole creation begins with God making a naked man. And he brings to this naked man a naked woman. And Adam's response when he sees his wife is he bursts out into joyous song over her naked body. And God's first command to humanity is have sex and make babies. (laughs) Your translation may say be fruitful and multiply, but I mean the KIV, the Keith and Davino version, have sex and make babies. It's where it all starts. And you you still don't believe me. I can see the looks on your faces. You're like, "He he didn't show us the verse. Okay, let me give you this. This is wisdom literature. This is one of the wisest people to exist that writes and it is scripture for us. And here's what he has to say. Proverbs 5.18. May you rejoice in the wife of your youth. May her breasts satisfy you always. May you ever be intoxicated with her love. Thank you, sir. (laughs) 
It's waiting for somebody. You know what? People ask me sometimes, is Blaze Church one of those churches that takes the Bible literally? And I just want to say, sometimes it don't hurt to take a verse literally. <laughs> Some of you get that in a couple seconds. That's all right. There's a book in scripture called Song of Songs, and it is eight chapters of love poetry. And much of what's written is about the arousal between a husband and a wife. So I just want to start here as we talk about this this morning. Sexual desire is not the problem. Sexual desire, sex, and romantic love is a good thing. But listen, when a good thing becomes an ultimate thing, it becomes a dangerous thing. When we take something that is good and we make it supreme, if we can use this language, we worship it. We ascribe it highest worth in our lives. When we do that with any good thing, and for today we'll be talking about sex and sexuality, but you take any good thing that God has given us and you make it an ultimate thing, the thing that you say, this will satisfy me, this will make me whole, this will complete me. When you do that, the good thing becomes ultimate and it becomes dangerous. And that is what we have done as humanity. And we're not the first people to do it. This humanity has been doing this. In fact, in the first century, when Rome is the ruling empire and sex and sexuality is the pinnacle as it is today, in a sexualized culture, Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes to the church and the believers in Rome and says, you want to know why this is happening? You want to know why a good thing has become an ultimate thing and now it's a dangerous thing? It's because of this word, the exchange. Everyone say the exchange. There's an exchange that's taken place. Paul writes of the exchange in Romans chapter one and here's what he says. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. So here's the picture that Paul paints for us. There is a group of people who knew God. They knew of God and yet they didn't glorify him, meaning they did not ascribe to him ultimate worth. They didn't worship him. They neither glorified nor gave thanks to him. They had an awareness, and many of us are there. That might be where you are today. You have an awareness of who God is, but if you're really honest, God isn't leading your life. He's not the one you glorify. He's not the one you give thanks to. It could be sex and romantic relationships. It could be career and money and hopes of the future or just a peaceful life, something that we say, well, yeah, I know of God, but he's not my everything. We just sang Christ be magnified and we can sing it, but Paul is putting his finger on a place and saying, and yet I don't know if you're actually glorifying him and thanking him. And so when we are there, here's what he goes on to say happens. Therefore, God gave them over. So those who knew of him and yet did not glorify him, God gives them over in their sinful desires of their heart to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. So look at how gentle the Lord is. 
He says, if you want to reject my plan for your life, and specifically in this writing, Paul speaks of sex and sexual immorality. If you and I want to reject God's plan, God in his gentleness says, okay. He, he just, he just, okay. So like this morning, remember, because we started here, like this will offend us. <laughs> This will be uncomfortable. If in our being offended, we say, well, that's nice, but I'm just not gonna live that out. The Lord in his gentleness, in his love and kindness says, okay, but, but I have something better for you. <laughs> but you make the choice here. And here's what Paul writes. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Say it with me. Amen. Amen. Paul goes, here's the exchange. We exchange the truth about God, his plan, how he created sex from the start and instead we exchange it for a lie and there's a degrading of our bodies and there's an embrace of sexual immorality and instead of worshiping the creator God, we worship what he's created. J just like the Greek culture, you and I go to the mythological God, mythological God of sex and romance and love and say, I'll go there. And we reject the true God himself. We chase what we want. And friends, yes, God loves you so much that he gives you this freedom to live how you want. But could I ask you a question that I wrote down as I was studying? Why would we turn away from the true God of love and sex and worship the mythological God of sex instead? Why would we do it? It's a rhetorical question. Don't shout out answers as I drink this water, please. <laughs> But think of that. Why, as, as people, as a society, when God is saying, I have a true way for you to experience the beauty of this sexual desire, why would we turn instead to a mythological God? And I'll offer some suggestions, and these are just my responses. I won't even call this Q&A question and answer because I'm not the answer man. It's simply responses that we'll see in Scripture. But if there is this exchange of the truth for a lie, as Paul writes in Romans, then we have to ask a very big question that we're not going to unpack together in our short time in its entirety, okay? Big question, what is the truth? I mean, if you're a familiar pilot asks that question before the crucifixion, because it is one that we are constantly asking. What, okay, then what is the truth? And if, if I could offer you just one word, and I encourage you to write this down, if you want to take the entirety of what God has to say about sex and sexual relationships and romantic relationships and all of this, if you want to boil it all down to one word that I believe would best encapsulate God's plan as truth, it is simply this word, covenant. That God's plan for sex is within a marriage covenant between a husband and a wife. And there's the offensive part. And I know. I live in the same world you do. I have the same friends you have. But if you're really saying, if, if I can grasp what you're saying and what scripture is saying, what is God's original plan and intent for sex? It is between a husband and a wife in a marriage covenant. And, and here's why. Tim Keller 
offers this, that sex within a marriage covenant between a husband and a wife, it becomes a sort of sacrament to the covenant. So a sacrament is an external sign of an invisible reality. So think in the church, if you've been a part of church for some time or you have church experience, there are two sacraments that the church tends to hold to and agree on, and it is water baptism and the Lord's Supper. Yes? Okay. So those are sacraments because they are external signs of inward realities that we experience because of the beautiful work of Christ. We remember, we give thanks. So within marriage covenant, sex now becomes an external sign of an invisible reality. Well, what's the invisible reality? That two have become one flesh. That two have not just offered to each other parts of themselves, namely their bodies, but rather they are united in union. So let's not talk about us because it's getting very uncomfortable. Let's talk about some other people. Let's talk about the first century. There were religious leaders in the first century that approached Jesus with a new sexual ethic and they wanted validation on their new sexual ethic codes. And they come to him and say, hey Jesus, we're pulling this from Moses. Moses kind of said this. We think he meant that. What do you say about this? Like we're rewriting the rules of sex, dating, and marriage. And here's what Jesus says to them. Matthew 19, four. Haven't you read? In other words, don't Google it. Go to scripture. (laughs) Haven't you read? Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning, the creator made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be, what's the word there? United to his wife and the two will become one flesh. So Jesus just, he goes back to the garden with with those two naked people we were talking about. That's what he's quoting. You know this. Haven't you read it? When God started everything, he made a male and a female. He brought them together, and the two became one flesh. There was a union. When sex is enjoyed in a marriage covenant, it is a sacrament that shows the union of two souls, of two becoming one. See, here's here's what we hear so often, and this is why this is so countercultural. What we hear is a phrase like, oh, it's just sex. It's just sex. And that's an approach, but it's not what God says. God says, no, it's not just sex. It is this beautiful union of two people becoming one. It is a covenant renewal ceremony, reaffirming a commitment. In fact, in marriage covenant, sex is more about giving than it is about taking. I've given you myself, and it is reflected in this act. So it's the truth of what God has in his word. And again, we're scratching the surface here. And I understand this is a monologue, not a dialogue. And thank you for listening. I encourage you to go home with scripture and the Holy Spirit and just ask him, haven't you read? So if that's a truth, then what might we say is a lie or what are we exchanging in place for God's plan? And if I could give you again one word, this I think would best describe the sex that is offered to us by society, the sex that Eros says to have, and here's the word, consumerism. So there's a covenant approach and then there's a consumerism approach. The consumerism approach that often has phrases like this, well, this is just what I want. This will satisfy me. 
These are my desires. I have needs. You've heard these things before, yes? You've said these things before, yes? My hands up. Because this is so easy to adopt. Now, let me just say, um, married people don't tune out for the rest of the message. Like, oh, well, I'm in covenant, so awesome. This doesn't apply to me. I can never have consumerism sex in my marriage. It's covenant sex. No, no, no. This way of, of embracing sexual desire is not just for singles. It is something that all of us are prone to. Every person, single or married. The consumerism approach. Let me give you some examples of how we might have a consumeristic approach. Uh, yeah, if, if you're single, and we're, we're sleeping with others, we're saying, well, I'm gonna give you my body, I just won't give you all of me yet. Just think of that for a moment. Doesn't that sound selfish? Like, I'll, I'll, I'll have sex with you, but I'm kind of just keeping my options open. I don't, I don't need paper to validate my love for you. I don't wanna get locked in. I wanna see if this works first. It's consumerism. I mean, you and I do that with cars. And, and we kind of somehow now do it with people. Yeah. So in a marriage, how can consumerism sex play itself out? When you place unrealistic and unhealthy and unspoken expectations on your spouse. And, and, and then we just kind of expect our needs to be met and our desires to be satisfied. And we look to our spouse to fill a part of us because we're worshiping the God of sex and love. Yeah? If you're uncomfortable now, do not listen to the next one. Consumerism, sex, uh, pornography, and masturbation. That we're told it's okay, and no, it's just an HBO show, or it's not that bad, or my spouse knows about it, it's enhancing our marriage. Are you kidding me? Like these are the lies and the perversion and the twisting that the enemy has done and it's been going on for millennia. And Jesus is saying, haven't you read? And we're, we're looking at the breakdown of marriages and relationships and we're scratching our heads, why? And God's saying, because there's been an exchange. Because we've taken the truth of God and we've embraced a lie because the lie feels so good. But its end is death and destruction. Students in this space, I am so glad that you are here and we as adults are praying that you adopt God's worldview now instead of having all the baggage and the shame. Could you guys clap for our students that are in this space? Like we're, we're supporting you and it is crazy hard for you right now. Crazy hard. Like I'm old. We didn't have Instagram when I was in high school. We couldn't snap nobody. There was no TikTok. Like you're living in this culture and you have a church that is praying for you, that loves you. Here's another way, because it's not just, remember, sex in the act. And we'll see Jesus's words in a minute. You want to know another way we get consumeristic with this? When we fantasize and create this romantic reality for ourselves. And we, we say maybe things like, oh, once I find the right person, I'll be completed. I need my second half. And we, we visualize the, the white picket fence and the little puppy and the kids and the husband comes home on time with flowers and candies and the wife's always looking good and she's there. And we just romanticize and guess what you're doing? 
you're once again going to the God of romantic love and sex for your satisfaction. This is where we are. And guys, we know, if we could just be honest this morning, we know that this way of loving, its end is destructive and it is a breakdown. And, And so Jesus looks at this and his words are so drastic to us as he's talking to the religious and to the crowds and to his followers. And he's saying, if you want to know what you are to do, if you find yourself worshiping Eros instead of God, here's what you should do. Be drastic. He says in Matthew 5, 29, if your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. Do you think Jesus is playing games with this? By the way, this is not a verse that I would take literally. (laughs) Give me Proverbs 5. Don't give me Matthew 5. He says, it's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Jesus is saying this message to us and he said it 2,000 years ago and it still applies. Do whatever it takes to not fall for the lie. There's this beautiful moment of a man named Joseph that is faced with sexual pressure and could get away with it. No one would know. And scripture tells us he runs out of the room. He flees. There is some fleeing and some running that we get to do because God has a better plan for your life. He's got a better plan for you. So I want to apply this now to the groups that may be in this space. And it's not a catch-all, probably miss some, but maybe the majority here, I just want to look what Scripture says to singles and married and to all of us. And again, I, I don't know your story. I don't know your relationship history. And I don't want to sound so callous. I want to read Scripture and allow the Holy Spirit to bring it to life. So can you stay with me for just a few more minutes? Yes. A good, yes? Yes, yes? If you need to throw something at me, I get it. I'll catch it. <laughs> so singles. Start here. You're not married. Meaning like you, you are not in a, in a marriage covenant with another person. Scripture would say a marriage covenant, a man and a woman. Not because the state says you need a license or, or that. No, because in the sight of God, you're not there. So you're single. The pressure on you is unreal. It's unreal. I, I can't relate. Hey, but I... <laughs> I don't fully understand. And I've got to just imagine the pressure is great. You're trying to meet someone and someone's pressuring you and saying, yeah, but if you love me, then let's move in together first and let's have sex and show me you love me and stay with me and all of this. And with all of those pressures, there is an encouraging word that is spoken three times over in the Song of Songs. And if my children were in this room, this is exactly what I would say to them. In fact, it's what I've already said to my eight-year-old son because... We've, we've, we talk about this. And here's the encouragement that comes from Scripture to those who are not in marriage covenant. Daughters of Jerusalem, I charge you, do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. Don't awaken it. Don't, don't start. Like, if I could offer you this, what Scripture is saying... You're going to want to write this one down. This is going to be like, this is, this, this is deep. 
if I could give you the best strategy when it comes to romantic love and sex as a single, here is the greatest one word strategy. You ready? Are you ready? Say, I'm ready. Okay. Time. Just time. The greatest strategy, you're like, that's not deep, bro. I was waiting for some more. That's it. That's it. Time. Don't rush. Don't rush into romantic relationship and don't rush into giving your body to someone that won't be union with you in every other part of their lives. Time. And and here's another way to apply that too. If you're single and you're saying, okay, well, we'll just get married so we can have God-honoring sex. No, you're bringing a consumer approach into a marriage. You're just gonna have consumer approach in your marriage. Marriage is not the answer Jesus is. So it's not, oh, married people get a free skate, so I'll just get married. No, no, time. God honoring. Just wait on him. And I know the waiting is hard, and that's why scripture says those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. Because in your own strength, you and I can't do this. We wait on him. And hey, shameless plug, Tonight, young adult night, five o'clock. If you're single, come on out. You might meet somebody. All right? Come on through. Some pizza wings. Like, just time. So, okay, I hear you, Pastor Keith, but what if the love is already awakened? What if, what if it's already there? And I get it. Like, you came to church, and I believe you're encouraged. We're, we're, we're not being beat up. We're being built up, Yes. Yeah. God's word cuts us so that we can grow. But I also understand some of you are gonna have a very awkward ride back to your house. (laughs) Honey, I don't think we should be sleeping together anymore. Uh, So what are we doing with this now? So what if it's already there? What if like you're saying like, Pastor Keith, well, I just, we're already having sex. We're already living together. I'm addicted to pornography. I just can't stop fantasizing. Okay, so I wanna give you two words of encouragement here if that's where you are. And the first one is this, no shame. Can you say that with me? No shame. You know, leading into this message, I had asked our leadership team to be in prayer all week long about this message because you know what I know about a message like this? The enemy will do his very best to twist and distort these words to offend us and pull us off the path that God has for us. So your leadership team, your your board of trustees, pastoral leaders, and others have been praying that the enemy would not harden hearts this morning, but that we would stay soft because God is able to do something great in all of our lives today. So we've got, we got to just say this. There is no shame for you if that's where you are. You came in today, welcome home. We love you and God loves you. And he's got a good plan for your life. This isn't a scarlet letter church. Okay, you are welcomed here. And listen, here's the words of scripture. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why is there no condemnation? Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. So if you are in Christ and you are living a life that doesn't honor him in your romance, in your sex, in the physical pleasure, you are in Christ. There is no shame for you. There is no condemnation for you. You've got to memorize this verse, Lamentations chapter 3, 22 through 23. You have got to know this one because when the enemy brings shame, you've got to be able to say, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. 
They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And tomorrow when you wake up and the enemy wants to put shame on you, you say, no, there's new mercies from the Lord for me today. My God is for me. No shame. There's a second part. Do you want the second part? No, you don't. Now we close up now, Joe. Let's just sing. Here you go. Second part. There's no shame. You got to make change. It is so okay to not be okay. It is not okay to stay that way. God doesn't want you there. It's all right. It's okay to be not okay. I'm not okay. There's days I wake up. I'm not okay. It's not okay to stay that way. We can't justify our sin. In fact, Paul writes about it in Romans where he says, well, should we just go on sinning so the grace will abound even more? And he goes, no, of course not. That's not freedom. It's bondage. So make change very practically. That's where when you drive home now, you begin to say, how are we gonna honor the Lord in our romantic relationships, single or married? Paul writes to a young pastor named Timothy and he, and he says to him that in his day, Thankfully, it's not in our day. This is just in his day. In his day, there would be people who would look like Christians, but they wouldn't act like Christians. Crazy, right? We don't have that problem. It's awesome. They would claim to follow Christ, but they actually wouldn't do it. And here's what Paul writes to Timothy. They will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. Then he goes, stay away from such people like that. There, there were these people 2,000 years ago that acted religious, but they actually rejected the power that God alone could make change in their lives. They didn't, they didn't embrace that he could make change. They settled. Let's not be like those people. Let's, let's allow the power of God to change us. So don't awaken the love, and if it's awakened, his mercies are for you so that you can change. Married people, Because again, marriage is not the answer. It is so easy in marriage to worship Eros, to make it all about the romantic aspect of the marriage, the sex of the marriage. And here's what the author of Hebrews writes. Let marriage be held in high honor among all and let the marriage bed be undefiled for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. So we hear that word and it's easy to tune out and say, okay, well, I'm not adulterous. I haven't cheated on my spouse. We are in covenant together. So I'm, I'm not defiling the marriage bed. If we can look back at the words of Jesus before he tells us to pluck out our eyeballs and cut off our hands. Remember that moment, right? Okay. Before he says that, here's what he says. Keep the word in your head about adultery. He says, you've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So Jesus exposes the heart behind the action, the attitude, and says, listen, lustful intent, you know what that word has to do with? Greed and idolatry. So we're talking about a mythological God, Eros. The worship of any other God is idolatry. And Jesus says, anyone who worships an idol, who looks to Eros with intent, with longing for satisfaction, it is as if you are defiling the marriage bed. It is as if you are committing adultery. So here we are now saying, what hope? What hope then? We live in a sexualized culture as the people before us did. 
It is so easy to allow consumerism sex to come into our relationships. Single or married, we are all susceptible. What is the hope? And to see the hope, I want to show you a moment between Jesus and someone who had relational baggage, who had looked to romantic relationships six times over in hopes for satisfaction. And Jesus meets this woman whose name we never get, but who says is the woman at the well. And he meets her at a place of water and he finds her coming to fill her water bucket. And he begins a conversation with her. Now, what might you expect Jesus to say to someone that he knows has had five marriages and now is cohabitating with someone not married to them? What might he say? Get away from me. You, I have no hope for you. You're too far gone. I can't do anything with this. You're broken. You're disregarded. You're sinful. And he says none of that. He takes the moment when they are together around this well and he uses it as an analogy, knowing that she's thirsty because she's tried over and over again to quench her her thirst and nothing horizontal could do it. And he comes to her and he says this, but I, John chapter four, verse 13, Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. Everyone who drinks this water, I just, it's appropriate, so give me a second. <laughs> Everyone who drinks that water will be thirsty again. Now, this is Jesus. He's not just thinking of a thirst for our bodies and water for the body. He's showing us something deeper. He's telling her about something deeper. You'll be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So Jesus looks at this woman and says, you're thirsty and what you're doing isn't working. It's not working. You keep coming back again and again to this well and not the physical well, but the well of saying, I need satisfaction. It's not working. And he draws her in and he invites her to come to him. And he, in essence, says this through their conversation, look to my spousal love and be satisfied. You have been looking around you. You and I, We look to others and think they will fill me, they will complete me. And we're putting our hopes in places that we should never put our hopes. And Jesus says, look to me and be satisfied. Years before this moment, God spoke through the prophet Jeremiah and his words are strong and they are for us today. He says, my people, have committed two sins. Say two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and they have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. God looks at us and says, here's here's the exchange. Here's the issue. You have forsaken me, living water, and you've made for yourself your own cistern. 
and you just put all your hopes here and you say, I, I know what will finally complete me. I know that if I can get that relationship, I'll be fine. And we do it. And we expect it to stay full. And it empties. And we say, well, that person didn't work. Let me try another person. And we go there. And then we say, oh, you know what? We weren't married yet. I got to marry this person and then we'll be fine. Then they'll stay with me. And we bring our approach and our broken cisterns into our marriage. And when that's not working, we try pornography and masturbation. And we say, well, it must just be me. Like I must, must not be heterosexual. I need homosexual love. And we keep trying and God is saying, you've made a broken cistern and it will always leak and you will never be satisfied until you ditch it and go to the living water himself and say, I I just can't do it anymore. I can't keep coming back to this well. And he looks at that woman and he looks at us today and says, I want to heal your marriage. I want to heal your singleness. I want to heal your sexuality. You no longer have to worship Eros. You get to worship the creator God. There is hope. There is grace. There's an invitation to run to the Father. I believe that today there is freedom in this place. In God's word. For some who are married, you have no idea how your marriage is going to get back on track. You don't know how you're going to find restoration. You don't have to have the answer. You need to go to Jesus. You just got to start there. You want to know the best prayer that you could pray with your spouse or your ex, whoever it is, whatever it looks like? It's just, Jesus, I need help. I can't fix this. You're single and you're saying, but you don't understand, we are so deep into this. We've been, we've been living together and sleeping together for so long, I don't even know how to get out. You don't have to know right now. You need to know that there's a God who loves you. You've got to run to the Father. I'm going to ask you right now to bow your heads, and if you're saying, Pastor Keith, I want healing in this area. I want help in this area. I need the power and the presence of God for my marriage, for my singleness. Would you with me raise your hand as a sign of surrender to the Lord right now? There's no shame. Don't let the enemy put shame on you right now. Maybe for you, your hand is up for a family member, for a friend, for someone you know. They need deliverance in this area. The lies of the enemy are so strong, and it has been too long. And so God, right now with our hands up, we are surrendering to you, saying, heal us. We want to forsake the broken cisterns and come to the living water. We want to trust in you, our God, who says, come to me, all who are weary, and I will give you rest. God, I pray for those whose marriages seem like they are so frayed and so beyond repair. And Eros has been at the center that today you are moving into place in the center. I pray for those who are single and are trying to navigate this life in a God-honoring way and it is so hard. God, may you be their peace and their strength. We need you. In Jesus' name, amen. Look at me for a minute and then we're gonna sing. If you've never called on Jesus to be the Lord of your life, to be your Savior, I want to invite you to do so. I want you to put your trust in Him today, to turn from the mythological God, Eros, and rather to the God who loves you, who's got the best plan for your life. Because He wants to welcome you home. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus.
So in this moment, we're gonna pray as a church. And if you wanna receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I invite you to raise your hand to the Lord, not to me, not to anyone around you, but to say, God, I am surrendering. I am calling on your name as we pray. Church, let's say this together. Heavenly Father, I believe that Jesus died and rose again so I could be forgiven. Thank you for new life. Today I surrender mine. In Jesus' name, amen.